0: his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leashed into 11-under.
2: We've got a new leader, kids. Here it is!
0: Adam Scott! A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going Inside the Ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au.
2: Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes, uh, episode number 69, and a very special one—not for the reasons you're thinking, Mike Clayton. But we are at the Emirates Australian Open, and I have got a cast of thousands sitting around me. We're at the interview table, you see. When uh, I don't know, when Matt Jones, when uh, Cam Davis comes to win the tournament, we're at the—we're sitting at the table, four of us, where one normally sits. To do the uh, the magnificent inside the Rope special Australian Open podcast, and join by the my, aforementioned Mike Clayton.
1: Hey, how are you, mate? Good to
2: be here in the wind and
1: the airplanes flying over, <laughs> banging the tent around. But <laughs> we c-
2: we we could have anything here, couldn't we? Well, we could, but we won't. We'll we won't clean it up. and <laughs> <laughs> Will we clean it up? You, you're the you're the guru now. I've hung I've hung it on you for the last few weeks. How many podcasts have you done this week already?
1: One kind of, well, I wanted to do yesterday, but
2: oh, that's good. Well, that's which good. was a.
1: Um, we some blokes played the golf course, and we came in and discussed the golf course and the work we'd done there, and kind of wandered into general golf topics. And
2: Very good. Well, we might do that today with you at the, around the lakes. We can, we can we can do that. And at great expense to the management, we've got Sean Connery who's popped in to say hello. <laughs> I've got the same hairstyle, but <laughs> that's no. about it. We've got John Huggins, direct from Scotland. Welcome, Huggy. You've been a regular contributor to the podcast over the uh, previous sixty-eight episodes, but we. Thrilled to have you here in Australia for the national championship. Always a pleasure to be here. You you, you come out. How many in a row now have you seen? Um, at least ten, maybe more. Yeah. So. Is it something? I mean, I, it's it's not. Not Moon and Links, f- right? So you came
1: out. No, after they, that. Yeah. So. Oh, 2005 or 2006. six where was, oh, six was the Sandon one at Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Yeah. So oh, 05 was, was the last one. What right.
2: was the 05? Oh, was that? That was Muna. Muna? And then, yeah, 03, 03, yeah, 03, when he beat
3: Ogilvy by a shot. That was Maybe my first one. Yeah. yeah. Now,
2: yeah. where you know we like to think of it as the fifth major, but that's so long ago in the big scream of golf. Where does it sit in the in the world, in your estimation? Well, the
3: title still is, I think, one of the best. I mean, any time you've got a national open, I mean, I, if you're going to build a world tour, I, I would build it around the majors and the national opens. I'd go to the almost the exclusion of everything else. Yeah. And the Australian Open is, is right up there, almost as high as the Scottish Open. Almost,
2: <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> and the, the fourth member of our cast, not you know, not in terms of ranking, but just in terms, I couldn't turn around to get to him sooner. But Martin Blake, who's just been, you you are a, you're a chisel, you're a rusted-on
0: veteran of this right now. Hello, Hazy. Yeah, I think I'm up to 16 Australian Opens, which Clates of course puts in the shade. But that's not too bad, is it? 16. 16's very. Good. What are you yeah. up to, Clates?
1: Uh, 1970, I saw, and then caddied in 75, and then I mean, everyone since 1978. So wow, around 40, somewhere in so the
0: 40s. So 40
2: plus 70 and 75. and So, so 41 plus two others. 40, is your
1: 43rd? So I, I watched in 70, caddied in 75, played in 78, observed until last year. I it again. Now my man, Curtis Lucky's playing in America, so I'm out of a job. So. <laughs>
0: Did you ever threaten to win it, Clates? Uh,
1: once. Twice. One which year was that? 93. I was second to Faxton with Jeff Woodland. Yeah. And then, um, Zuma. I was one behind Watson. Finch and I were one behind Watson in 84. Okay. With a round to go and we both choked. So. <laughs> you, yeah.
2: You'll happily admit that?
1: No, it was pathetic. 76 as <laughs> we both had. It was pathetic. Pathetic.
2: Do you look back and think... If only I'd stuck my name on that trophy, or you'd just. Oh, it would have
1: been nice, but you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah.
2: There, there can't be many who've won the
1: amateur and the open, don't Yeah, that's, yeah not many. Yeah, Shearer. No,
2: yeah, Shearer. And Devlin. Devlin, and there was um, there was one other earlier back in the day. Ferrier, Jim Ferrier And we have. And course, someone recently did it. Who
1: did it recently? Cam Davis. Cam Davis, Cam Davis our yeah.
2: defending champion, is, um So
1: it's hard to it's harder to win the amateur, of course, but it's hard to it's hard to win them both. You won the mm-hmm. 1978 Eight, Australian Amateur. Amateur. I
2: did. yeah. Oh, what a double! What a what a. Forty years ago. Forty years ago. Wow. It's if someone had
1: turned up in 1978, and <laughs> from uh, um, was the 1938 champion. <laughs> 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 I would have thought he was the oldest. <laughs> Older than Methuselah, wouldn't
2: he? <laughs> no, you're you're sitting here in pink, and only young people yeah. can pull off pink. So that you've there done you very go. well. All right, let's get down to business. We, we are here, at, you know, for for the 103rd edition of our national championship. Um, there's been a lot of talk, Huggy, about the field. Um, you know, it, it seems to occupy a lot of column centimetres uh, in the papers and a lot of airwaves. What's your take on it? it? Is um, been criticised for not having star power, but in my opinion, it seems to be pretty wide.
3: Well, that, yeah, there's obvious disappointments that you know, the, especially the the top three Australian players have uh, decided not to be here this week that that is disappointing is the best word i can come up with for that but i've had a look through the field and i came up with about 20 names of guys that i'd quite happily go out and watch for various reasons mm. you know there's the american visitors they're always worth a look there's a bunch of old guys guys of our generation if you like who, who you know you, peter o'malley peter fowler guys like that you I want to go and watch them at this stage in my life. I'm interested. There's all these bunch of upcoming young guys. I mean, one or two of them is going to play well. And there's a few, a couple of guys from the European tour, Mikko Elanen and especially Nicholas Kolsarts. If you've never watched Nicholas Kolsarts play, it's worth going out to see him because things happen when he plays golf. I mean, you never quite know what you're going to get with Nicholas. I mean, he can be, he can, he can be not very good, but he can be absolutely brilliant as well. you remember him in the the first match he ever played in the Ryder Cup in 2012 at Tiger? Medina, when he played with Westwood against Tiger, Tiger. and Stricker, and he held everything. Yeah. I mean, Tiger basically shook his hand at the end and said, "Unbelievable," or you know, words to that effect, with a few expletives <laughs> probably in the middle. <laughs> but that's the kind of guy he is. I mean, and if, you, if people are coming along tomorrow wondering who they should watch, I would recommend him.
2: Yeah, that's the beauty of this field. There's plenty of, plenty in there. I actually really like Abraham Anser as a chance. Uh, a name that no one we can't put his face on the poster in fact you can't even really talk about it um, even in golf circles and expect people to know he's compiled quite the season on the USPGA Tour, a guy from Mexico coming out here to play the World Cup next week as well uh, I really like his chances he could have, would have, should have won a FedEx Cup playoff event, Blakey.
0: Yeah, and Having Matt Kuchar win in Mexico last week was pretty good for the tournament wasn't it? It Great. You know, just uh, shows that he's he's got some good form and you know, he was number four in the world. I think Kuchar at the height of his career. So he might not be at the height of his career now. He's turned forty. Oh well, yeah, he but, lost uh, the pitch Open last year by. Yeah.
1: Stolen from him only. Yeah, over the last fifteen months four ago. Four. So by Jordan Spieth, of course. He was pretty much stolen from him, but well, it kind of was, wasn't it, really? Well, yeah. Well, Spieth played the best five holes anyone's ever yeah. arguably anyone's ever played at the end of a major. I mean, it was ridiculous stuff what Spieth did. I mean, yeah. Kuchar did absolutely nothing
3: wrong. And just got beat. I mean, he must have been kind of stunned. Yeah. At the end of that. And, I think Clates is the a, player here this week. I think
0: is going to uh, tip Cameron Smith, aren't you, Clates? So uh, you've written a piece for uh, well, a the tournament a, website today. Yeah. Not that there are no short hitters
1: anymore, but he's a great wedge player, and this course doesn't advantage long hitters at all. Apart from the second and third holes, there's really almost no advantage to someone who hits the ball a long way because they tend to play a lot of holes back into the. It's quite, quite a restrictive course off the tee. My mate, Brandel Chambly, would probably like it. He'd probably think this was a modern part of modern design. But anyway, um, it's so you, a very you restrictive... You called him,
0: Smithy a, 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 a genius with a wedge. Yeah, he's a
1: great player with a wedge. But you've got a, there are a lot of holes where you played to similar spots off the tee. So the long hitters don't get much of an advantage at all, which is why Peter Senior could win here. And why uh, Greg Chalmers won here. Yeah, which is Big not... Tiger in- Woods and Jason Day. So... Yeah. You know, don't you know? It's, again, it's a Smith is not renowned as a power hitter, but he's a great short line player. So, you know, I would be surprised if he
0: if he didn't win almost. He'd be my favourite, Hazy I Smith, Yeah, yeah. I just think he's been waiting to really announce himself uh, by winning something like this. And, yeah. You know, he came close. Was it two years ago? He lost the playoff. right? Royal Sydney. Yeah. With he made a big absolutely. run on the back nine. Uh, Spieth Spieth made the birdie to beat him on, in the playoff, but. I think that Cam Smith probably deserves a little bit more uh, publicity, I guess, than what he's actually had. He's a very, really good player.
2: Well, I'm going to give him a, an, another pat on the back. I Don't get me wrong, I've got absolutely no idea about appearance money. I, I don't know. But i it's my understanding that Cameron Smith is here on a couple of pieces of flake and a few chips. So where other people have um, rightly or wrongly been derided in the in the public forums for, you know, snubbing their nose at the tournament in favour of a, of a large appearance fee check I, I guarantee you that Cam Smith's here because he wants to get his name on the Stonehaven Cup and there can be no greater advertisement for a young bloke than that well
3: that that's a problem in a general problem for professional golf not just for this tournament I mean I, I write this column every 18 months or so saying that why don't the very top players in the world every year get together and say we're all going to go somewhere different for nothing just because it's the right thing to do
2: for a different tournament each
3: year. Yeah, and go to somewhere different just because it would be great. I mean, spreading ago, the word of golf. Exactly. My mind always goes back to a couple of years ago. Rory McElroy went to the South African Open for just because he wanted to go, and the place was moving with people, mm. kids mostly, just because Rory was there. Now the impact that that had in South Africa is probably still rippling down. Mm. Kids are probably playing golf because they were there that week and saw Rory play. I mean the, the influence they have is, is enormous and to me it it really annoys me that money comes into their minds when is enough enough for these guys that once a year is not a lot to ask that they just go somewhere because it's the right thing to do
2: and we'll we'll come back sorry you're going to say something Well close? how much of the
1: problem is not the players but the managers Well the yeah. players that ultimately make the decision we're, we're going well, to Well get... they would uh, the managers might dispute that yeah,
2: anyway. no, I, I agree with you, Klayts. But we're going to we're going to divert away from the, yep. from the topic here. But before we do that, Huggy, I'm really interested in your thoughts on what you just said, specifically on the world number one player right now. How much money is too much and whatever? If he's Justin Rose, has snubbed the Dubai World Championship, whatever it's called.
3: Yeah, well, he, he's he's gone to number two this week, believe it or not, because Brooks Kepka by not playing, has gone back to number one. Oh, I Didn't realize that. I mean, Sorry. it's it's yeah. interchangeable parts, but your point is still valid. I mean, it, it's a it's a snub really to the European Tour for for the you know the Olympic champion, major champion, Ryder Cup player. The list goes on. You know what Justin Rose has done in the game, and he's lying third in the race to Dubai this year, and he can't be bothered. To go and play in Dubai in the end of season event for the tour that he supported him when he was whisting 21 cuts in a row That's back right. in the day, and but he can believe it or not, he'll be in Indonesia next month playing in for for in something for an
1: awful lot of money, I'm sure. How it, much are they playing for in Dubai?
0: It's 10, 10 million. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah. So it, it, it's. To the point where, look, people argue about the Australian Open prize money and they argue about appearance money or whatever. There actually is no physical, physically large enough amount of money to guarantee a good, a good field these days because if $10 million isn't enough to get Justin Rose to Dubai and you just can go, eh, whatever, that's very symptomatic of a much bigger problem.
1: Yeah. If, if the prize money was $10 million this week in Sydney and you didn't pay any appearance money, would the field be any different than it is today?
2: I once would have argued yes, and now I argue completely no. It would not, not have been not, no difference, not right? a shred of difference. Well,
3: here's an example of the, the same coin or the different side of the same coin. Next year, next January in Abu Dhabi, the Abu Dhabi Golf Championship is going to be one of the Rolex Series events on the European Tour, the time-honoured the, the, Abu, Abu Dhabi, up, Dhabi Championship. It will go up to about seven or eight million dollars prize money, and they'll have the worst field they've ever had wow. because they're not going to pay as much appearance money. The wow. prize money will be more than it's ever been. The field will be the worst they've ever had. Wow,
2: that says everything. Plaky. But, um earlier today in this very... T- the chairs we're sitting in, Stephen Pitt addressed the media. Um, we have a bit of audio from that. What did you take on what Stephen Pitt, the Golf Australia Chief Executive, have to say?
0: Yeah, he was sort of defensive about it, wasn't he? he was saying... you know Because there's been some criticism in the papers of the the fact that those three big-time Australian players are not here, but um, he, he made the point that the Open's been making some ground the last few years and that they were up against the European Tour Championship, which was a decision that, the, that Golf Australia took to move the tournament forward so that the World Cup of Golf, which is in Melbourne next week, could be slotted into the program. So they kind of did the right thing by the game, but uh, it impacted on the, on the field. So let, let's have a listen to what Stephen Pitt said.
1: Well, I've spoken to a lot of golf people, and I think there's a lot of positivity about the field. Um, I think it may be the deepest field we've had since uh, 2011. It's, not, it's different from a field we've had in the past. Typically we've had sort of one or two of those really big-name top 10 players. Uh, this year has been a challenging year. Um, uh, but I, I do think it's a deep and interesting field with a lot of players in really good form.
0: Where's it deep, other than in numbers?
1: Well, I think depth is around uh, players who are playing very, very well and are in a good position to win the tournament that have, uh, you know, good CVs. We've got five of the top 50 in the world, uh, which is, uh, I think, a really uh, good achievement. Um, So I I think it is a deep field.
0: Just on that point, Hazy, I mean, we can talk all day about who's not here. You can go through and pick out who's not here. But in the end, you just, you know, move on with what you've got, don't you?
2: Of course. And actually, Brent Reid in The Australian today, and we're recording this on Monday... Had a, uh, I think, a really good point. Um, he said, "There's no star power. There is no Ricky, Rory, Tiger, whatever. But it's got, it's got a really good field for the purist." And Huggy's already gone through a couple of the examples of that, and I, I, believe that to be true. I've got no problem turning up here to watch um, the field that's assembled. I'm not just saying that for, you know, from my employer's point of view. I actually believe that.
3: Yeah. The the downside, of course, is that the, the casual viewer, spectator it's going to miss the, the star power of the, the guys at the top. And, and that impacts also on sports editors and newspapers, not just in Australia, but around the world. You know, they, they have a limited knowledge of golf usually, and they're only interested in star names. And that impacts on the amount of coverage you're going to get in newspapers. But I would argue, just as you've done, if for, the, for the guy who knows what he's looking at, this is a great field. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of people worth
0: watching. Well, Keegan Bradley won uh, the BMW in America, what, a month ago, two months ago? Um, So he's number 30 in the world. Uh, We also had a chat to him today, Hazy, and he's only played in Australia once before he played in a web.com or a nationwide tour event in 2010. So, you know, he's got some form on his side. Um, Huggy had some issues, uh, Keegan Bradley, after the anchoring ban, didn't he? You know, he just went backwards. For a while when he back, went back to a short putter but
3: well he's also had problems with his pretty short routine i think yeah uh, we've seen on twitter the guy doing an impression that's of right keegan, yeah. which was funny but it was it, it it kind of spoke to how difficult he finds getting the club away from the ball and all the stuff that goes through his mind while he's you know getting to actually make a swing so um but he's fascinating to watch for that reason too
0: well we might have a listen to keegan bradley uh, has he had a chat about the ups and downs of his career uh, today in the media conference
1: well, I, especially in golf, your career's Ernie
3: Els told me this one time, that your career goes in waves, and it's about managing the waves, and uh, I had, this, the, the putter change took me by surprise with how difficult it was, and I wasn't quite ready for it, and I've had to put a lot of work in to get back to this level, and I have to continue to do that for the rest of my career, which I'm happy to do, but I, it took a lot of work to get here, and... Now I feel like I'm at a level where I can just kind of maintain. I'm not looking to make changes or do much other than maintain and improving my putting.
2: I, I love listening to Keegan Bradley today, and I also love listening to Brant Snedeker. And, and you know, they're really forthright with their, you know, admitting Huggy and Clates about the troughs that they've had at various stages of their career. They were hot six, seven years ago. They've had troughs in the middle, but they're both emerging now. They, they, they're legitimate contenders this week, obviously.
1: Yeah, Seneca played well. Royal Sydney, did he play well? I remember mean, watching him there, he was like, you don't mm. get a sense of how well these guys hit the ball from TV. No, it's a terrible it's, In many ways, it's a terrible game on TV because you don't get the, you know, that flight tracer thing helps a bit. But when you see guys who can really play hit the ball properly, it's so much better live.
2: He, so he was high up uh, in the one that, I think it was 2007, that Craig Parry won. Lost, yeah. by yeah. Lost by a shot. Lost by a shot. With a penalty. Yeah, that's right. He called himself on a penalty shot, so uh, he, he, was, he was he was good about that today, wasn't he? Like he, he, so he, he was pretty adamant that he wants to get his name on the Stonehaven Cup.
0: He dropped a, he was in the rough, like fairly long rough, and he dropped a lob wedge behind the ball, and it, it just sank down in the grass. So he penalised himself and ended up losing by a shot. So I, I, I mean, he's a great putter, Snedeker, isn't he? I
3: was just going to say that. There's two things, two biggest reasons for me to watch Brand Snedeker. And you know he does hit the ball well, as Mike just pointed out. But the biggest reason for watching him are his pace of play, yep. and the way he puts. I mean, he gets on with it. I mean, he's an almost an anomaly in today's game. I mean, and how quickly he gets he gets to hitting the ball. But the putting's the best thing. I mean, he's got this little short, tappy. It's a jabby stroke, isn't it? And it, it's like Billy Casper, almost like back in the day. It's the same kind of thing. And man, he can putt. So, yeah. if you're looking to learn something about putting, Brian
1: Snedeker your man. He won where? Greenbrier? No, not Greenbrier. Um, the one Sam Snee won, Greensboro. Yeah. Right? Mm. Shot 59, first stage. Right. Yeah. I
2: thought yeah. it was Greenbrier.
1: No, it was Greensboro. Greensboro, Greensboro. Greenbrier. Okay. Greenbrier was the one that got flooded and they, they yeah. played against. Yeah. yeah. I and once it. again, Clayton.
0: Sam Snead won eight Wyndham Championships, that's isn't right, he? That's right, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> once because
1: again. Wyndham didn't exist when Sam Snead yeah, was winning the Wyndham yeah. Championship.
0: neither here nor there. Yeah. 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 Once yes. again, the Snedeker would be suited by this course, surely. He's not a long ball hitter. You
1: know. Yeah, I so. think if you went and played with him, we'd all be shocked at how far past they hit him. <laughs> yeah. <it, but> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not Cameron Champ, that's for sure.
2: Uh, just talking about guys who have called a penalty, on it, I had a good fortune to run into Demi Papadados out there. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this story when he was playing in the uh, is it the road to Ross Alkheimer, whatever it is, the final oh, of the right. Challenge Tour. Is that uh, right, Huggie? yeah, yeah. I just spoke to him before. He, he was playing, trying to get his full European card and going quite nicely, and uh, he, he hit a couple of bad shots on a hole and t- tapped very hard, obviously, but tapped his eight iron down on the ground. Slightly bent it. Played on the next hole, hit his eight iron. Didn't it, it was so minimally bent that he looked down and couldn't see it. Played a shot, and two holes later, he picked it out again, and he goes, "That's something wrong with that stick, and he called himself a penalty. No one had a it. faintest idea, and it was barely a bend, and he got DQ'd on a... Technicality, obviously later and missed his, missed his full card by uh, by being a scrupulous young man so kudos to Dimmy, but uh, it's great to see uh, guys policing themselves on the course Do we
1: think 100% of players call that penalty? Not a chance no. Well, sad, Sadly no
3: but yeah. uh, that's a whole other story that we probably don't have time to no, get into no, right I'm here
1: hole, but, no. but yeah he, he was in the top 15 almost all year he won wouldn't he in the middle of the year? Uh, it would he
2: have been went, a little bit earlier in yeah, Portugal He was in the
1: top 15 almost all year so yeah back there again next year.
2: He, he told me he's got um, basically guaranteed uh, 10 or 12 starts on the European Tour, so he's got well, up to 10 starts, so he's just going to you know, take his chance when he gets there next year. Yeah,
3: the, the number of starts is, is, is slightly misleading on the European Tour because there's actually I'm, I'm probably the same in America, that maybe not quite to the same extent, is that there's three European Tours going on at once with three different levels of tournament with three different levels of prize money and you can play, you and I can have Twelve starts each, and I can play for maybe three times as much money as you play for. Ah, if I get to, I sense. get to play in the big events, and you don't. Yeah. So you need you need to look at the prize money possibly more than the number of starts with the benefit that these guys get. Which is why
1: Lucas Herbert played so well this year because he was playing in the little tournaments. Yeah. And he, I mean, obviously not in the end, but he he got his played his way into playing in the Dunhill Cup and the, the uh, uh, Walton Heath. British Masters by playing well in Sicily and Portugal, and you know where there's not much prize money, you've got to finish in the top three to make anything worthwhile. I mean, you finish second in Portugal, you're making the same as the guy who finishes 20th at the Rolex tournament.
2: I've just got one bit of housekeeping before we go to the Lakes course and continue our discussion. But you did bring it up, pace of play. I'm going to whack someone in the uh, an unexpected visitor to the um, Roger Bannister file for our slow play, Huggy. I'm sure you've been aware of our Roger Bannister file um, for any guys who spent like four minutes over the ball. Remember um, JB
1: Holmes? and right. Yeah, he took four minutes to play that shot, so he came up with a Roger Bannister. Because you, the Roger Bannister file was, um, Holmes said, I don't think I was that slow, and someone came in and said, Roger Bannister ran a mile in the time and <laughs> took it took to play that last <laughs> shot into, into the trade into Tory Pines. Yeah. So it's a Roger Bannister file. Yeah. Who, who's in it now?
2: Well, Jason what? Webb on Twitter contacted me during the week, and I appreciate that, Jason. Uh, he, he said, You must put Sergio Garcia. In the, in the Roger Bannister file. Now, I, I love Sergio, but he froze over the ball. He froze over the ball at Sun City. What, has, he, has he become that nervous, Huggy?
3: Well, he, he went through that phase back in the day with a number of grips. Remember, he used yeah. Beth tried, Page. Yeah, yeah that, Beth yeah. Page at the US Open in 2002, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was pathetic. I mean, he, he literally couldn't get started. Yeah. So, that, see, I have a little bit of sympathy for guys in that position because that's a psychological thing. It's not just a... Bernhard Langer taken forever type of thing there's actually something going on with Mentally, that yeah, yeah exactly
2: alright well let's get down to tin taxi you, you the, the M Clayton or the OCCM fingerprints yeah Who's, whose fingerprints are OCCM are they yours or are they Mike's or
1: well this was actually the Michael Clayton Golf Design Company so it, okay. was, so these are your it was it was M a lot of M a lot of me yeah. and a lot of Bruce Grant okay. and some of me and uh, Mike Cocking was, I think he was building heels, well maybe at the same time, yeah, so he wasn't up here much, but yeah, this was Bruce and Ashley a lot, this one.
2: Well, let's talk about this course, because it's a, you know, it is a, a venerable old course, and it's had a lot of different guises over the years, yeah. and, and, and this, is the, this is the Mike Clayton guys, and, and it's always uh, a course that generates a lot of discussion and debate, but I would imagine looking at it quickly as I have the last couple of days since we got here, that it is in absolutely magnificent condition and you must be very proud of it.
1: It's good. The lies are good. It's a little soft, but it's it's in good shape. There's a couple of bunkers. Huggy and I were discussing where there's a bit much long grass around the bunkers, which is for our liking. But, yeah, give it 95 out of 100. For a presentation? Is, yeah, it's terrific, yeah. You know, if the, the wind dries it out a bit, bit of sun, and, and it'll be windy during the week, so there's no reason why that won't happen. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good, you know, think your way around here and, you know... It's a good thing that there's no massive reward for power, I think.
2: No, I agree. What did you think of it? Huggy, I assume that, you know, your eye for golf courses isn't too different to Mike's.
3: Well, I'm, I'm a, a fan of this golf course, not just because I've got a obvious bias because of Mike's involvement, but I played here with Mike before the redevelopment of it, and I've never seen a good golf course. In fact, I said that at the time as we were going around. Right, I'd never seen a good golf course in such bad shape. I mean, there was... It was overgrown. There was trees everywhere. It was, all the places where you wanted to go were you know, blocked off. or some, you know, A lot of them were blocked off. You know, you, the right place was not the right place anymore. The, the design, a lot of the concepts had been lost, I thought. And now, it, I mean, it's been transformed. I mean, you know, there's been an awful lot of trees removed, which is... Uh, is a surprise. Yeah, not surprising, <laughs> perhaps. But,
1: well, it's really gone back to the way Bruce Devlin and Robert Von Hage did. There, there were never any trees here for years. It's a bit like Oakmont in that sense. Oakmont didn't have any trees till the late sixties. So the course Devlin built wasn't a links, but it was a sand, it was a course, it was a wind blown brown course in the sand dunes. And there were no courses, not many I never saw the original, but there weren't many trees on that. The freeway went through it from the airport to the city. Devlin and Von came and rebuilt the golf course and it still had no trees on it. And then long after they left they started planting them. One thing. So amazing. the trees had no role here. for for the longest time.
0: One thing that amazes me, Hazy, is how good a uh, condition they can get the Kaikuyu fairways into because, you know, I've I've always sort of hated playing on Kaikuyu, but, um, you know, it just goes to show you there's Kaikuyu and there's Kaikuyu. (laughs) I played last Sunday and you did too, Hazy, out at uh, Concord in the west of Sydney here in the Golf Media Championships. And uh, they've got Kaikuyu and it's just a beautiful lie that you get on that stuff. That was a and it's was the a, same. here. That
2: was a treat, and we really thank the people at Concord for opening the doors to a group of Australia's worst golfers on <laughs> one Hackers. of their yeah. one of their proudest days, the reopening. And it was you know the, the New South Wales Premier was out there and everything, and we'd already demolished the we course. We chopped it around, and we couldn't. I need to I need to pop Blakey here, you guys, because uh, you know it's a long-standing statement. Clayton, you don't know pressure until you, you
1: bogey the last three. Have to until you have to bogey the last three holes to win the Golf Riders Championship. I
0: was reminded of that today because that's here actually what line. happened to me. I made it. I made a double double finish to to lose <laughs> double, to, double to lose on a on a on a <laughs> countback. Blakey
2: could have gone three over in the last two holes and won the tournament, yeah. and he didn't quite get the job done. The pressure.
0: Yeah, I took the gas. <laughs> I must admit,
1: but Kaikuya of mm. 2018 is a much different. It's a not, finer, not even the same grass in the. And demonised an awful grass that was yeah. growing in 1970. It was a horrible grass. But chemicals, now you can find it right down. in the fairways at Riviera, amazing, in Los Angeles. Yep. They're the best your fairways in there. Here, I haven't seen concrete yet, but the fairways here are almost in the class of Riviera. What's the best hole out here, do you think?
3: Well, I, I, as a spectator, I mean, I, I would recommend... If anybody's coming here to watch this week, that they spend at least some of their time on the thirteenth hole, a yeah. short par four down the hill. Yeah. If you want to see really good players driven to distraction <laughs> by a little short hole that's got you know, This shallow green. Exactly. Just mm-hmm. the, it's all about you know being in the right position off the tee to give yourself the easy pitch straight up the green, and that green is going to cause you know palpitations, yes. nightmares, whatever you want to call it, for a lot of players. If you it's going to be hugely entertaining once somebody's missed the green.
2: That's going to be really Like the mighty third at Curlew's Clates, you can have a two, you can have an eight. Yeah,
1: which is the problem with what we do is you build a, a, hole, a short hole like that with an 80-yard wide fairway, it needs to be necessarily scary at some point for good players. Otherwise, there's no point to it. But making something necessarily scary for good players makes it very difficult for average players or bad players, whatever you want to call them. So it's a... But they can make five or two. They, they can bump it down there and bump it down there and putt it up on the green and make five or two or five and a half or whatever. But a the, the, the great hole like the 15th at Kingston Heath. If you built that hole now, it'd be torrents of criticism because yeah. bad players can't play. It's not fair because you know, the bunkers are ridiculous. They're unplayable. They're too deep and we can't play. But they need to be necessarily that penal to make that the scary hole that is at the end of the round. It's and it's an 8-iron shot. It needs to be
0: scary. Yeah. Number it, 14, Clayts, um, which is for the listeners at home, if they haven't seen this, t- it's a hard turning left par 5. That's correct, isn't it?
1: Well, it's a it, two-shot hole. You t- turn
0: left over the water. Yeah, two-shot That hole, green was controversial, wasn't it? That, four and a, It's
1: a four-and-a-half par, mm. two-shot hole. And the old hole had the edge of the lake, two bunkers, And the green, 15 yards over the the water. And it was supposed to be a replica of the 3rd Augusta, apocryphally. But the 3rd Augusta is great because the green comes to the water. So we thought, we'll bring the green to the water. Then it was a massive green site. So what do you do? Do you build a big flat green? Do you build a football field that asks for nothing except get over the water? And your two-putt or one-putt for a three or a four and move on. Or do, you, or do you build a green where you three-putt if you're a long way away? You're supposed to three-putt. So, but it's controversial because it's wild. And it's, but if you think that's controversial, you know, go and look at some of the where Huggies from in Scotland. As Tom Doke said, the aforementioned Doak, um, everything you need to know about golf course design you can learn in Scotland. And you go and see places like Presswick and North Berwick and the old course, that's the best course at St Andrews, the L course, not the best course at St Andrews, the best course in the world. If you go there, you see stuff like that all the time. You know, it's, it's That was golf before golf was fair and predictable. Because the Americans turned it into something fair and predictable which took away the, the intrigue and the charm and the frustrating, annoying things about golf that, 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 that make golf in Scotland the best golf in the world. So you build things like that and the modern mentality is to decry them as being unfair but you know, you compare that to the 16th grade at North Berwick, or the, where the pitch across the wall at North Berwick, or the Rodan at North Berwick, or the Road or the Himalayas at Presswick, or the Alps Hall. I mean, they're completely mad. Yeah.
3: Yeah, they're great.
2: Look, look at the chest of Huggy. Look at how proud it is. Look at how- well, <clears throat> you,
1: you
3: mentioned the word unfair there. I always shudder when I hear the word fair or, you know, being used in, in a golfing context because you know, it's been said many times before, but it was never meant to be fair. And the best courses are the ones where the randomness, the inherent randomness of the game is actively encouraged. That, to me, is the, is the most fun in golf. I mean, predictability, that's a, I mean, really, come on. Do we really want to be, make golf predictable? I mean, it's, it's at its best when it's unpredictable.
2: Absolutely. I don't think you get any argument around this.
3: And, Huggy,
0: uh, the last hole here's at par three, which is unusual. Uh, Clayt's explained this last week that the freeway came through and they didn't have enough room to... Build anything else. One of the All Abilities Championship, brought to you by ISPS Handa, players today hole in one. Timo Clichard from Germany had a hole in one with a hybrid club straight back into the wind. Well,
3: there's always that potential, isn't there? I mean, we could mm. see on Sunday night somebody winning the tournament be with a hole in one. some way to finish a
0: tournament. You know, he, he
1: should perhaps send a little note to his fellow countryman Bernard Langer. Yeah, who had a Remember, he lost that tournament to Michael Long where he forgot to mark his ball on the last green. Oh, uh, yes. He yeah. needed a part of win, hit it in the bunker, hit it out to 10 feet, went to put his ball back on the green and had to call Trevor Hurden no on the marker. green and say, Trevor, I've marked my ball. I've forgotten to put the coin down. So he picked the ball up That's and put and Bernard the did the fine, you've got this putt for five. <laughs> Made six, lost by, lost by two. So imagine Bernard Langer doing that. And the two, most, two of the most inexplicable things I've seen in golf both by Bernard Langer. That and taking six in the middle of the fairway at Royal Birkdale to lose the senior open, taking two in the bunker, the most simple, basic bunker shot in the world and left it in the bunker and made six. I mean, you could put your house on Bernard Langham not making
3: those mistakes. Well, I, I just like to think that he was, eventually, he was bored by being out there that long.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah, or, or he was concerned about his putter uh, rubbing, oh yes, yeah, rubbing against his jumper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unintentionally. <laughs> <yes. Yeah>.
2: Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, Blakey, you brought up a really great point there. Um, <coughs> the Australian All-Abilities Championship presented by ISPS Hander. Uh, it's already created waves this week we've got some unbelievable players there I went out and uh, shot a video with Justin Falkner and uh, and uh, Anthony quail yesterday with the most delightful young Spaniard Juan postigo a one-legged golfer playing off scratch best in the world isn't he uh, he was number one he's at number two at the moment in the right. world rankings but um, honestly it's just a it's a it's all about humanity, what he does. It's just extraordinary. And he doesn't know any different. He's a scratch golfer on one leg. And I got out there and tried to play a hole with him with Anthony Quayle doing the same thing, and we, we were complete morons. Honestly, it's embarrassing how good he is on one leg. Um, one story of a dozen here this week that are unbelievable, aren't they? Like, so many different abilities and... Uh, different reasons to come and watch golf and it's the world first uh, of an event of this stature in a a National Open Championship.
0: Well, if you live around Sydney area, come out on Friday afternoon and Saturday and Sunday and watch these people because they're very inspirational. This guy, Timo Klisham that I spoke to today, he's got a uh, nerve condition in his left arm, right? So he virtually can't use it. It kind of flaps around beside him. Uh, But because, you know, it's a two-arm swing obviously the right arm sort of pushes pushes it through so he's able to swing the club and he can grip the club lightly he plays off three uh, he drives at 220 meters he said uh, because he said you know it's just all about technique and timing like any good pro I suppose um, just amazing he's playing in, in the field and it's got a lot of attention hasn't it Hazy and the papers have already picked up on it I think it's yeah quite a quite a good thing that they've yeah, done yeah
3: I mean it's a it's a very humbling thing I mean uh, it's, this is slightly different attack but uh, many years ago when I lived in America I, I caddied in the Special Olympics when it was played in Connecticut and I, I caddied for this young lad who was you know, fairly severely mentally handicapped and he, I learned a lot from just watching him play because he was, all he was interested in was hitting the ball, he didn't care where the ball went but he loved to hit the ball and as soon as he hit the shot he was off to, hit, to get to the ball to hit it again and the, the, the sheer fun of it was was just hitting the ball, and we forget that sometimes. We, you know, Mike bangs on about scoring, how we should all forget about the scores. Well, this kid didn't even know about the scores, yeah. and he got so much more out of the game than I pro- it, to that, <laughs> had ever done yeah. in, in my life, and probably ever done since. But it's a very humbling thing to see people playing a game that we kind of take for granted when they've got such disadvantages that they have
2: and I think one of the key things about this from my perspective I've heard Christian Hamilton who's an absolute legend the national inclusion manager at Golf Australia and a PGA pro himself who's just all about this and getting golf in the Paralympics he's he's a a force of nature he's a brilliant brilliant young man he said that what this does is allow people to focus on the on the athlete and not on (laughs) their disability yeah because if you watch it you don't even see the disability you just go how well do you hit the ball It's unbelievable. It's great. I encouraged what Blakey said. Just get out here and watch it if you get a chance, if you're in Sydney, or watch it on the telly. It's going to be just like the Vic Open in terms of men's and women's in alternating groups on Saturday and Sunday. That's what it's going to be here this week. So it's fully integrated. Uh, One of the great things, and everyone who's been a part of it, particularly Christian Hamilton, we dip our lids to you. Um, We should touch on, before we wrap up with predictions about the Open again, uh, the New South Wales Open, Blakey, uh, this week. Out at East, uh, Twin Creeks, rather out in the west of Sydney, um, a great result for another young Australian, Jake McLeod.
0: Yeah, Jake he, a great great win here, and it got him a start in the field here, didn't it? Yeah. It did.
2: Yeah, and he we saw him at Dick Open Clays when he shot that, uh, I think it was a 61 or 62 on the creek course at 13th yeah, Beach, yeah. and was the, it was the record there. But he couldn't go on with it. But he's he's found another gear here in the New South Wales Open. Yeah,
1: yeah it was good. So we'll see how he plays. Zach Murray, first tournament as a pro. Who won the West Australian Open? So, we, yeah, so it's. You know, people kind of lament the demise of. No, oh, there are only two or three tournaments in Australia. Well, you we've know, already played three decent tournaments running up into the Open, and next week will be great in Melbourne, the World Cup, and then the PGA. Where, so it's not all doom and gloom this week. I, you know, there's lots it. of good stuff to look forward to, I think.
0: I'll tell you who's in the field who's a good story, Hazy. And I spoke to him today Mark Hensby. Oh, yeah, yes. Hensby, yeah. What a story. I mean, he's 47 years old. He's done a 12-month drug suspension because he missed a a, a, um, a scheduled drug test in America after a tournament in October last year. He, hasn't he put the clubs away, didn't play for six months. He basically decided that he was going to give golf away. He ended up playing. He was back in Tamworth, where he comes from, and uh, he ended up playing a game with his brother. His brother said, let's go out and play, and he picked the clubs up again. Now, back, here he is back here. He went out to Carnarvon Golf Club on Monday, shot 68 and qualified for the Australian Open, which he hasn't played in since 2007.
1: He shot 64 last week in the Eastern yeah. Open. Right? That was remember. his first tournament. And, and, and with no hint that he was taking drugs. He, he missed a urine test. And he said, well, you know, I had well, a leak on the 16th hole and I can I come back and do it in the morning? And someone screwed up and he came back in the morning and said, well, you, you're done. 12 months out.
0: Well, listen, he was laughing. At, you know, I'll, I'll write a story about this hazy on the tournament website tomorrow probably, but... Uh, I'll just give you a, a little inkling of what he said. He, he laughed his head off because how could he possibly be on performance-enhancing drugs? He's played five years and earned $20,000 in that time. <laughs> so where, where was the enhancement? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but
2: I, I bet, which is gold, but I'm yeah. I'm, I'm all for you know, golf being testable. Because for, for too long, I don't know what you guys think about that, but for too long it's shied away from the, you know, the aspects that dominate other sports. And we, we can't do that, can we? We can't just... Say, no. pretend that nothing happens in golf, whether it's beta blockers or steroids or whatever. We can't just bury our heads in the sand.
1: No, well, I'm sure there's. I'm sure it's not entirely clean. I'm mean, not nowhere near as bad as athletics, or oh no, Yeah, you know, it's a complete fast cycling that stuff. But you know, I'm sure there's. Um, I'm well, not, I'm not sure. No, I'm not sure. But well, I think it would be a reasonable assumption that there've been players who've tried stuff.
3: Well, I don't think there's a drug out there that's going to make you a better golfer per se, but there are things that you can take apparently, that are going to allow you to practice longer, have better endurance, you know, if there's delays, there's going to be two rounds in a day, whatever, that, that, that can make you, your endurance better than it, than it normally would be. That, to me, is the only area where there's going to be any real advantage to, to, to
1: take in anything.
2: And I'm not suggesting that be had that. I'm just saying that you know, I, I think it's important for golf to be seen to be clean.
1: I think we're lucky to play a sport where, you know, there's, it's hard to imagine any player getting an advantage by Taking anything that's going to help them. I mean, uh, un- unlike you know, Lance Armstrong cycling, for example, where everyone was on it, presumably uh, the whole thing's a farce. You know, if you're clean, you can't compete.
0: Mm. Well, better blockers were uh, in vogue, weren't they? 20 years ago, there were some players allegedly yeah, they were. taking better blockers to uh, calm their nerves on the. group. Well, the thing about them,
3: though, was that was the whole theory of them was going kind to of shut down for me was when Nick Price, who was the best player in the world at the time. Had yeah. a kind of heart condition and was prescribed beta yeah. blockers by his doctor. He had to take them, <laughs> and he actually found it made him play worse because there was no adrenaline when he needed a little boost. He was he was flatlining basically, oh, so he, yeah. and he needed you know if you're trying to hit a big drive or you want to hit, you know you're going for a shot over a lake or whatever. He just yeah. he, he just wasn't there. I mean he was it just as they say flatlined, and, so, and it made it was a disadvantage for him. I, think so I needed a custom? better
0: blocker out of Concord yeah. the other day, How's he <laughs> <laughs> he
2: might have needed about four meter blockers, I reckon. Yeah. So, he, so you're saying Nick Price was his game was attuned to adrenaline like that. Well,
3: you, you, there are times in the round where you need, you know, you're you're going to go for a shot over, a, as I say, over a hazard. It's it's, it's risky. You're, you're trying to hit a bigger drive than normal. You need a little bit of, you know, yeah, something yeah. that's naturally produced in the body. But he he just couldn't. It wasn't there anymore for him, and and he just he had the calmness that you maybe need for a chip over a bunker or you know. Three foot putt but for the other aspect of the game he was he was lost and that's what makes me think that I mean I'm into an area now that I know very little about but that is there there can't possibly be a drug out there that gives you the adrenaline rush you need to hit the ball further or go for a particularly important shot and then calm you down for the for the three foot putt that results I mean that to me logically doesn't make much sense
2: uh, be like a, wouldn't that be good in biathlon in the, uh, the Nordic environment <laughs> Well, let's let's make quick selections here before we wrap up. We've got a we've got to go. We've got to do a series of short podcasts this week, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. But I'd like if you guys don't mind to give me a you know a quick just quickly a winner, a roughie, and low amateur if you if you can think of one that pops into your mind for a low amateur. Um, Clates, uh, what have you got? I'm for us? going
1: Cameron Smith, Mickalusi for the amateur, and ruffie. Uh, one of the old guys will play well this week. Senior, senior most likely Fowler and Leonard. Uh, with the course, they could... One of those guys will do all right this week, I think. Most likely Senior, who shot 61 last a couple of weeks ago in At the Laguna? New South Wales Senior Round, which was a ridiculous score.
2: You played that week?
1: I did play that week. That was a ridiculous score. That was one of about 10 rounds I've seen in my career that were unimaginably low. You could see Peterson shooting 65, but not shooting 60. Anyone shooting 61.
2: What did you shoot on that round?
1: Well, I shot 73, but... I have an excuse, I flew in from China and drove eight hours and drove four hours yeah, and did does yeah, and played. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, you know, I, didn't, I played okay. Yep. 73
0: wasn't, it wasn't horrible.
1: You didn't think you'd see 12
2: shots to the lead. 61 was
0: unimaginable. He so did retire two years oof. ago, by the way. I seem yeah. to think I, I did the story. That's right. right. <laughs>
2: That's very true. Gosh.
0: We uh, thought it was a good story at the time. Sorry, Huggy.
2: Go for it, Huggy. Who of you got any particular? Well,
3: I'm going to play safe here. I think that, that uh, to my knowledge, I think there's only one major champion in the field, Keegan Bradley. Am I right in saying that?
2: Uh, let's quickly go through it mentally. I think that's right.
3: Yeah, I think he's he's. As Blakey pointed out earlier on. He's playing well this year. He's kind of on on the rise. Yep. I think he's on the way up. I think he's going to be right there come Sunday. Uh, whether he wins or not is a different matter, but. He'll be the, He's the man to beat, I think.
2: And a roughy? a Someone who's not high up on the... Oh, uh, the, you, uh, you've got to
3: speak English when you speak to me. <laughs> not Australian. <laughs>
2: someone who's not fancied by the bookmakers. Um,
3: well, I'm going to go with my man, Nicholas Colsarts. Okay. I think uh, he's capable of anything. And if he gets hot with a putter, he, which he's done a couple of times this year already he's going to be right there too.
2: Now can I push you for an amateur or you haven't had a look I, that the
3: Jap- Who's the name of the Japanese kid?
0: That, Takumi Kanai. I, I like the look of him. Yeah,
2: yeah he yeah. travels very nicely. Blakey?
0: I agree with Clates. So I think um, Cameron Smith might win it. Um, and I hope he does. My uh, Ruffy would be Greg Chalmers, who's won here before. And I just sort of feel like... What is this Ruffy business? Ruffy. What? It's one of our Australianisms, Huggy. Huggy sort of follows me on Twitter and he, get, he gets very frustrated with some of our uh, AFL uh, terminology. I'm, I'm still recovering from barraking, which means a completely different
1: thing where I
3: come from. Oh, okay <laughs> from a guy
1: from, from a country with a town that is spelled H-A-W-I-C-H. Hoi. And it's pronounced Hoyc. Oh. Debbie, my wife's saying, "How do we get to Harwich?" And he's like, he's looking at it like, "What? <laughs> oh, Hoik. Yeah. It's Not well, as bad as Wales." H O I C. Yeah.
0: So yeah, Greg Chalmers is the the where he's won before, and I, I thought of fancy uh, Jed Morgan as the lo, the low amateur. Oh, that's yeah, he's good. Royal Queensland. He's, he's good. really yeah. good. He, he got in on qualifying. And he's a, uh, he's he only qualified? eighteen, I think. Yeah, he did. He's good. He's a gun.
2: All right, there's some quality amateurs in this field this week that really is could go anyway. Just we should mention that Minwoo Lee actually joined Brett Coletta in the uh, final stage of the Web.com Q School, and that means that he's going to stay in the United States and focus on that. So he's out of the field, world number seven amateur. Uh, I'm I'm really struggling to pick an amateur. I'll I'll probably barrack for Micheluzzi, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Victor Hoyland uh, uh, from Norway. The US Amateur Champion. US Amateur Champion. I think he can get the chocolates on that front. Um, an outstanding young player. I'm going to s- Abraham Answer could be a ruffie. He's that unknown, Huggy. Yeah, he used to play
3: playing goal for Scotland. Alan Ruff, that's what <laughs> I was thinking. Why, why is Alan Ruff being mentioned here?
2: <laughs> but I'm going, to, I'm going to pick Abraham Answer and I'm going to pick Brett Coletta. I think Brett Coletta can actually get the job done around here he as, a, good as our Ooh, he's... Um I really rate his game and I'd love to see him take a big step up. But there we go, that's, we've, got, we've got 12 different names among the four of us and that's the beauty of this Australian Open. It is legitimately wide open. Mm. Anyway, we've got, we got five shows coming at you this week so we're going we're to really add to our, um, our episode list. That's 69 in the books. We've got number 70, 71, 2 and 3 coming up after each day's play so make sure you tune in on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday evenings we'll have four special Australian Open editions of Inside the Ropes. Uh, until then, huggy. Clay, Blakey, thank you all very much. Thanks, Hazy. Thank Thanks, Hazy. And without Andy Maher again, that's Marquez and we've got another one in the can. Thanks, guys.